This is the world of Salesforce and Dropbox, HubSpot and Evernote, a world unthinkable without cloud software services. Most businesses and consumers use SaaS every day to get work done. Driven by the internet and ever-expanding availability of bandwidth, SaaS has come to dominate our lives in a very short span of time. But developing a defining service, often ahead of its time, getting users to engage, secure funding, protect IP, and building a truly remarkable and successful SaaS is not an easy task. SaaS Stories brings conversations with the dreamers and visionaries who dare to think ahead. How they build their SaaS, genesis, struggles, trials, tribulations, and eventually success. Welcome to SaaS Stories. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Just a quick intro to Pitchlink. One of the biggest stumbling block in smooth buyer-seller communication is the ability to talk to all the stakeholders and for our champion in the buyer side to effectively communicate the value proposition to her team. It is next to impossible to get follow-up meetings with more influential team members. Very complex for the entire buying committee to carry on conversation with the vendor side between multiple mail threads, umpteen collaterals spread across various cloud drives, or for that matter, multiple vendors sharing multiple rounds of content and information. It is a big mess that the buyer has to manage. Pitchlink helps manage all content and communication on a single unique link with secure buyer side conversation not visible to the vendor, and a buyer-side analytics showing team engagement to all members of the buying committee. What's more, each member of the buyer's team can follow, engage, or even opt out when they want without missing a beat. Want to know more? Sign up for a free one-on-one session. Welcome to this new exciting episode of SaaS Stories. One of the biggest challenges facing sales organizations is efficiently leveraging technology. This week, we speak with Nikolas Dikochkovsky, author of The Sales Technology Landscape, to help you make sense of where this explosive growth in sales tech products is headed. So, I think from a communication standpoint, asynchronous ways of communicating are embraced by buyers and actually sellers, by I would say consumers at large, across B2B and B2C. Uh, that's that's a convenience of a conversation. Uh, there's no more weight. You have the persistent of the conversation and context. So all this had started, not only in sales, but in service across every motions of customer engagement. So this is not changing. It's going to, uh, to continue. Um, what I see is an evolution vis-a-vis self-service versus assisted service. It's very interesting because in the B2B space, the focus was assisted selling, right? Uh, There's always a seller. And what we see is growingly B2B purchases that are shifting to a completely virtual model through app exchange, app stores. There's more and more B2B purchase decisions that are entirely digital 
from a standpoint of being self-service. Nicholas D. Kochkovsky is CMO at Aquion, an innovative provider of conversational engagement software. Nicholas has extensive software experience and held diverse executive roles at companies of all sizes. He is a recognized industry expert in sales technologies and has authored a comprehensive sales tech market landscape. Now, on to this insightful episode with Nicholas Kochkovsky. Nicholas, uh, welcome to the show. I am really delighted to talk to you. I mean, I have known your work for many years now. And uh, we have been sort of exchanging notes from time to time on LinkedIn, but uh, but I I think this is uh, this is a great great opportunity to have you uh, and speak with you. Well, thanks for having me. Before we actually go in to the landscape, tell us a bit about yourself, what you're doing now, and what's what's sort of uh, tickling your interest these days. Yeah, so I'm a CMO of a company called Aquion. Hmm. We're transforming one aspect of the customer engagement uh, landscape with conversational engagement. We help B2C companies engage from sales, for service, for collection, using all available channels. So that's what I do these days. And I started um, about now six years ago uh, tracking the B2C landscape, mm. uh, which was uh, an interest that uh, started when I was independent a few years ago. Mm. So it started with the B2C landscape. Uh, how did that sort of transition, if I may say so, into the sales tech landscape? So I actually started on the B2B front. Right. Uh, when I became independent, I worked as a fractional CMO for startups. And back then, the recurring frustration, desire from my clients I've heard is, listen, Nicholas, we see declining return of our inbound efforts, Hmm. and we want to move up market. So I said, well, there's a known solution to that is prospecting. But back then, it was not natural for many entrepreneurs to lift the phone and reach out. Mm. Uh, Most people were much more comfortable uh, doing inbound. Mm. So I started to say, yes, it's not easy, but there's technology. And I happened to to know about a few technology solutions. So I started to build a list Mm. um, to um, fire email sequences, uh, to call at scale, to track what people were doing. And uh, one of my good friend, uh, who runs a, uh, an intelligence site called uh, Tokyo Networks, mm. told me, give me your list, give me the keywords, and I'll help you track the entire space. Mm. So from list, I started to build a, a blueprint, kind of a, a, an architecture of the, of the stack, of the ideal stack that would uh, plot all the available technologies. And I started with Inside Sales, Hmm. Uh, back in, in, in 2015, and a couple of years later, I expanded into the anti-sales tech. Uh, when, when you were looking at it, was it purely to help the startups you were, you were working with as a fractional CMO? Was it purely for them or is it because you suddenly saw that there is this explosion of technologies and people need to make sense of it? Yeah, the initial lists was really what I needed for work. 
Hmm. And um, I've, I've done the numbers of uh, a project in the space. Uh, I was always curious about it. But really what sparked my desire to do it and continue doing it after so many years is the complete explosion of the space. Hmm. In 2008, there was clearly a change. First of all, I've seen, and I was back then, uh, CMO of a, a, a large software company. For the first time, I, I saw our CFO starting to look at sales efficiencies and effectiveness beyond meeting the numbers. Hmm. Um, there was a, a complete change with the rise of inside sales, trying to have a more um, structured approach, also use lower cost resources as part of the sales process. So a movement started in 2008 and it really triggered uh, the birth of an entire new industry landscape. So when you think about it, um, the initial version of my landscape, which was arguably focused on inside sales is about at about 350 participants. Hmm. And the version that just released is over 1200. So okay. six years uh, do, uh, do make a difference. You are a marketing expert and you were building a sales tech landscape. Uh, was that something uh, because you felt that marketing and sales were not talking enough or as, as a marketing professional, you needed to understand the sales space better? What was the trigger? So, like I said, I, I've helped many companies in the space. Hmm. And as a marketer, you want to understand the landscape. Hmm. Uh, likewise, I, I've done uh, many projects uh, in the customer service space, hmm. so I track the, uh, 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 the landscape. And when you look at what we do in marketing, for inbound, you want to constantly check keywords. Uh, you want to check what topics are of interest to your potential audiences. Hmm. All those techniques are exactly the same I'm using to track the industry. So. Mm. We have some uh, some common grounds, but um, the the starting point was really uh, uh, an interest, a passion, I should say, for all those markets uh, where technology can help businesses do a better job of engaging with their current and future customers. Um, back to uh, the overlap with marketing on the inside sales front. Hmm. We have a lot of overlap between sales and marketing, so it was a more tactical interest. But um, my my real motivation was uh, uh, an interest for this emerging market that literally exploded. <laughs> That's true. Uh, since uh, uh, since it uh, it started to take off um, almost a decade ago. Right. So if you look at the parallels with the mark tech landscape and that there also there is a lot of overlap with sales tech nowadays, uh, it has grown from like five or six hundred products over the past 10 years, 11 years. It has come to like eight thousand products. Yeah. Obviously, we're in the threshold of huge amount of leveraging of technology, yet uh, the efficiency with which it is being done uh, is nothing to write home about, especially when you you go down to the end user, their ability to use and leverage technology is, is uh, uh, I mean, for the lack of a better word, is questionable. 
the amount of you know money that is being spent on tech a very very little bit of that is going into actual actual training uh, do you have a view on that yeah i mean uh, first of all I, i think when we look at sales tech hmm. we have three and a half constituents so we have the uh, the sales reps hmm. and uh, um, a key focus is about enabling them hmm. um, higher velocity in their workflows hmm. uh, more intelligence uh, about their markets and customers um, better enablement hmm. and growing lead ability to operate virtually or digitally hmm. um, we have sales operations um and we have sales management yeah sales operation and management have different interest hmm. um sales operation will be interested in having a very accurate pipeline hmm. and to show the accuracy by having strong proof points hmm. those elements might be less relevant to a rep it can be also relevant to sales managers and sales managers they need to hire they need to onboard they need to grow their teams so we have those three constituents mm. and i think when you look at the sales stack it's actually the model i've adopted is five layers mm. uh the first three are mostly relevant to sales rep mm. uh the fourth to sales operation mm. and the last one is uh mostly relevant to sales manager so the first is engagement what technologies are available to engage with customers besides i would say a face to face then we have all the technologies that are productivity technologies uh, it can be quotes it can be a signature it can be scheduling hmm. uh it can be um access easily to content to be able to share it hmm. those are technology helping someone a rep be more productive then we have the layers of sales intelligence ranging from companies to people to intent hmm. um, this is also critical for sales reps hmm. then we move to the crm layers with the core crm system of record Mm. as well as numerous technologies that are about tracking both the pipeline and growing the performance of sales mm. so forecasting performance management are becoming their own category mm. uh, conversation intelligence is another one of them yes and um, this is mostly relevant to sales ops it's also relevant to of course sales reps that want to know how they measured and to sales managers but the primary consumer of those technology is sales operation and the final layer is all about onboarding uh commissions uh training the primary uh customer of those technologies is actually the sales manager hmm. of course training ultimately is for sales rep but the way to marshal those technology will come from a mix of sales ops and, and sales management the lot the remaining half is actually cfo because mm. when you think about it uh, there was one application before 2008 it was called crm for sales or salesforce automation mm. and the buyer of this technology was actually the cfo 
Mm-hmm. And it was a way to actually know what the forecast would be. Mm-hmm. But when you look back then, who was buying Salesforce Automation or CRM for sales, CRM, whatever you want to call it, it was the CFO. That responsibility has gradually shifted to sales ops. Mm-hmm. But it's good to remember. So back to your question, what, what I see is two things. First of all, some specific products might, might work very well for an individual, mm. might not for another. Mm. So within companies, we see depending on how sellers operate, we see the same technology being great or being mediocre. Mm. The other challenge um, is that sometimes the incremental improvement of a piece of technology is offset because the workflow of mm. uh, uh, the seller becomes disrupted. And you need to, to think about the numbers of different applications that reps sometimes offered. Mm. And you need to basically uh, switch from one to the other. And sometimes mm. it's becoming difficult to manage an effective workflow across those different pieces of technology. So that's the second things I'm, I'm hearing. Hmm. Now, when we look at that, there's a third dimension that we want to look at is the industry because the adoption of those technologies is actually very, varies a lot from one industry to another. Hmm. Uh, technology embraced those, uh, those applications, those software, finance, is second Hmm. and is now in the mode with COVID and an accelerated transition to digital ways of doing business, Hmm. fast-tracking the adoption of those technology, albeit in a a little more structured way, and many other industries are actually lagging. So when you hear those feedbacks, you will notice that they often come from the technology space that has been embracing technology. Hmm. Whenever there's a new piece of technology, sometimes it's recommended by uh, uh, your investors, you say, yes, let's try. Hmm. And in reality, a lot of those companies are biting more than they can chew. Hmm. And at the end, they try a little bit, but there's always an effort Hmm. (laughs) to put things to work, to integrate it. And when you have too many of those projects, you end up actually not doing enough Hmm. for most of those technology to start yielding the benefits. So you deploy the technology and over time you see usage Hmm. kind of winding down to the point that uh, a few years later people basically stop using it. Um, But it's a very diverse Hmm. picture in effect. Do you see any characteristic which is common in those which have able, which have been able to sustain the usage and those which have sort of tapered out? Um, yeah, I mean, the a structured approach to building the stack is one key element. Uh, the discipline of onboarding and uh, uh, driving onboarding and adoption based on who is the target user Mm. Um, so those driving principles are pretty key. Um, so depending on the size of the, the company and the maturity of the sales of function, 
what you see is a one point sells up stakes ownership of it. And you, you, you probably have heard about the term revenue ops mm. because many of those software are kind of a hybrid between sales and marketing. So the situation becomes even more complicated mm. when you factor in all the software that marketing is buying and collectively is uh, contributing to uh, manage uh, all the lead and opportunity workflows and now more and more the customer success and development workflows, right. as well as giving visibility on, 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 on all the operation. There was a movement um, that probably started in uh, 2018, where I, I started to see CFOs saying, well, I see every year more and more expenses <laughs> for sales. And um, there was also um, the impression, okay, if I talk to this one that has bought this application, I get one view of the business. If I talk to someone else, I get a different view. And of course, by uh, definition, you will get different numbers if they are built using different uh, application, different instrumentation stacks. So. In 2018, somewhere around this, I started to see for company of a certain size with matured finance organization, the beginning of an ask. And it's saying, okay, tell me what's this single version of the truth (laughs) and what's the return on investment of all those applications. It stopped something that we had in the early days where reps could expense on credit cards, some technologies that kind of started to to vanish. What I've seen is with COVID and with the way we work completely changing, that movement kind of paused. Hmm. And now it's mostly rationalization of the stack is mostly coming from sales ops or revenue ops. it's going to be interesting to see. I suspect that uh, once we start to normalize this new normal, if I may <laughs> use this, <laughs> those words, uh, we probably will see a, a, a desire, a push, I should say, from, uh, from also the finance organization to streamline and better integrate the stack, which will be better for everyone. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break... I mean, with the web, you have tons of technologies that can be woven into a different desktop. So um, we've seen lately um, a lot of add-ons to Salesforce to facilitate data entry into Salesforce. Slack and those type of platforms have opened up APIs, created uh, app, app stores to be able to provide capability, not as yet another application, but a building block uh, that uh, logs, um, that connects into whatever is your uh, reference um, at desktop. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. 
we can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n Business Podcast Network Podcasts End to End Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for SaaS Stories and founder of Pitchling, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into this episode from where we left it. Do you see any move towards uh, sort of uh, applications which will allow people to have multiple applications in a single dashboard do, do you see any any move towards that kind of technology we um i mean with the web you have tons of technologies that can be woven mm. into a different desktop so um we've seen lately um a lot of add-ons to salesforce mm. to facilitate data entry into salesforce right um so Slack and those type of platforms have opened up APIs, created uh, app, app stores to be able to provide capability, not as yet another application, but a building block uh, that uh, logs, um, that connects into whatever is your uh, reference um, at desktop. Um, today, when you look at the market, um, so Salesforce is definitely can be a reference desktop. Mm. Um, you see the Slack, the Teams becoming for many their reference uh, desktop, and you see sales uh, engagement platform mm. becoming as well a kind of a reference desktop. It's interesting to see um, there's a category that I, I, I call uh, sales automation, mm. for the lack of a better word. Mm. Um, these are low-code uh, automation technologies that can facilitate the workflow. So they take a piece of data from one application and will automatically move it to another. Mm. And uh, because it's low-code, it's kind of citizen developers, so it's pretty easy without uh, triggering an IT project to connect two applications and better the overall workflow that may span across multiple applications. But I've seen that uh, the prevalence, I should say, is that a rep will select, a will elect, I should say, an application, he or she feels comfortable with as the main desktop and will expect uh, the other capabilities to be injected into uh, that desktop. So you're referring to technologies like Zapier? Yes, that's an example. Um, Wokato, um, I mean, there's a lot yes. of technologies of, uh, uh, of that nature. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. I mean, there, there, there's a definitely a, there is an explosion of of uh, of connectors, so to say, if I may use that word. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
as a technology so i have a question do you think that we have reached a stage of complexity in the number of products that are coming out which will essentially go back to consolidation under a large umbrella like salesforce so yeah i mean um i i think the poster child of federating different applications under what portfolio is today zoom info hmm so zoom info became very focused and anchored into the sales intelligence space hmm and uh they've been an acquirer lately uh sales engagement technology i think the last company they bought was a chat company hmm. so they have a dialer they have email sequences they have sales engagement technology they have chat uh to do uh, uh, uh to do it all um so there's definitely a movement in part of the landscape to consolidate likewise when you look at the so-called sales enablement so training onboarding compensation gamification you have a numbers of of players that have been um uh starting to consolidate so uh big thing can hmm. exactly seismic when you think about those just the three companies they've been acquiring many other adjacent cate- uh, categories or trying to consolidate to provide a more unified suite uh for one element of the uh of the uh, for one layer of uh, of the landscape what's interesting is what's happening on the CRM front hmm. um so far what i've observed is more is a disaggregation of CRM hmm. we spoke about automation Hmm. Self-force automation yeah is now called is no longer called self-force automation <laughs> the great misnomer it's called CRM and sales automation is an adjacent category doesn't mean that you don't have within CRM automation but right now the category is blossoming on the side hmm. uh when you think about forecasting the primary reason why sales CRM and uh self-force automation was bought in the first place was for forecasting purposes like we discussed mm. and now you see an explosion <laughs> of um it's called revenue ops whatever uh revenue intelligence applications and the core function is forecasting so um we've seen a movement to disaggregate uh the the CRM uh capability um at the same time salesforce has been beefing up all its capabilities to a lesser extent um microsoft and oracle and uh, now there are many predictions that those crm players are going to become a little more acquisitive and aggressive and not just add some capabilities as feature of their suite but penetrate uh more directly into some of the uh, categories of the sales stack the other uh, question or or area that i have a question about is of course covid covid has pushed uh, asynchronous selling remote selling uh, much more into the center than it was ever in the past 
do you see any unique categories evolving out of this scenario um so far not really hmm. um but sometime you you know there's a, a, a tweak in doing things that becomes its own category um what i've seen at high level is in the b2b space hmm. um we things had become before covid somewhat structured with inside sales hmm. and field sales and that boundary is kind of blurring Hmm. with techniques that before we use only by inside sales hmm. now starting to be used by field sales but there was a lot of repurposing of technology that was already existing i mean zoom uh, yeah. or, or webex whatever you want to call it was existing before i think we'll see an evolution to make some of those technology better suited for for example the mobile phone hmm. uh, but for now it's more an extension of existing categories with more field sales and inside sales both using the same activities and uh looking at the way to engage with customers as a kind of continuum video comes in the mix direct mail was rediscovered and gifting was rediscovered so you see all these mm. become yet another touch point such as meeting in person. No, the big change I've seen um in particular in my current um uh, uh role at uh, at Aquion is that this revolution that took place in the B2B space is now happening in the B2C space. Mm. When you think about it, most of the changes in the B2C space were driven by e-commerce. Mm. and uh, e-commerce i mean incredible amount of technologies but very focus on simple commodity type products and suddenly with covid everything had to be procured through e-commerce hmm branches were less visited and as we exit covid as we reopen branches we see less traffic Mm. So financial institutions are thinking okay what am I doing with my branches and you start to see personnel in branches that is being redeployed as virtual advisors to customers that are no longer visiting the branches the way they used to. Mm. So what the and and today it's a mix of existing b2b technology or more specialized such as the one we offer on the aquion front mm. that enable that so the coming of those technology techniques and new ways of selling into the b2c space is what i see is um is the big impact of of covid i mean obviously the buyer behavior has changed i mean your last example of people not coming to the branches and thereby the necessity of virtual advisors or virtual uh, 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 you know service is is uh, apparent in b2c do you see the same kind of impact in the b2b space are buyers now asking for more asynchronous more virtual uh uh discussions and uh, because i mean with with the with the fact that they were already doing some 50 60% of the journey digitally uh, anyway even yeah. pre covid 
do you, do you see that getting accelerated? So I think from a communication standpoint, asynchronous ways of communicating are embraced by buyers and actually sellers, <laughs> by I would say consumers at large across B2B and B2C. Mm. Uh, that's, that's a convenience of a conversation. Uh, there's no more weight. You have the persistent of the conversation and context. So all this had started, not only in sales, but in service across every motions of customer engagement. So this is not changing. It's going to, uh, to continue. Um, what I see is an evolution vis-a-vis self-service versus assisted service. It's very interesting because in the B2B space, the focus was assisted selling, right? Mm. Uh, there's always a seller. Mm. And what we see is growingly B2B purchases that are shifting to a completely virtual mm. model through App Exchange, App Stores, there's more and more uh, B2B purchase decisions that are entirely digital from the standpoint of being self-service. Wonderful. One final question. The growth from 300 to 1200 in six years, how many did you see die? How many actually went out of your landscape? Would you have any idea? Oh, I don't know, but I do see uh, a numbers of, uh, of uh, companies. Hmm. Uh, it was one categories that completely exit, exited the uh, disappeared hmm. was predictive analytics. Uh. Yeah, predictive analytics completely disappeared. And why do you think uh, so? Um, well, there are multiple reasons. Okay, uh, there's actually a, a, a an entire um, article. Mm. Uh, from uh, uh, Mike Cabot, mm. who was VP of sales in one of those companies. But think of it, C9, Lattice Engine mm. have been acquired. Sales predict Mintigo mm. have been acquired, hired. <laughs> so, which means that what they're doing now is very different from what they were doing. Mm. Um, uh, for me, the big movement was when Radius was virtually shut down although it bagged something, I mean, it bagged $100 million in investment, which is a sizable amount. Yes, yes. So um, one category disappeared. It kind of morphed. Uh, some evolved in the, in the sales intelligence space, some evolved into the revenue stack around this forecasting. Hmm. Um, but I think the, the way the category was sprinkled around the stack and saying, I'm going to provide AI at all level of the stack hmm. for all kinds of reasons didn't work out. Right. Um, uh, there's companies day and out that come into pretty crowded spaces, hmm. categories, and that exit sometime. So there's a vision and that's, uh, we only see the winners, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, um, there's movement. <laughs> Great. And finally, what would you predict over the next three to five years are the categories to watch out for? Oh, I, I'm always asked that and <laughs> I always do. Um, I think sales guidance hmm. is one intriguing. Today I have it as a category, but it's also a set of features in multiple categories. 
Um, but when you think about B2B moving for a large chunk into self-service, hmm. what we remain is much more sophisticated, complex selling. And B2C uh, starting to come bring assistance to e-commerce. Both hinges on our ability to equip sellers with tools, uh, which are not transactional tools. It's domain expertise. So that's one of the category that uh, today I find uh, very intriguing. Hmm. Um, but uh, back to our, our discussion on the numbers of applications in the stack and how you can build a single version of the truth. Um, uh, all what's happening in, in this revenue ops, revenue intelligence realm is very intriguing. I, I think at one point we will see a little bit of streamlining um, to provide a better instrumentation of the entire, uh, of all the activities end to end. SaaS Stories is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink enables high-quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 990-216-3132. That is 990-216-3132. Nicholas, thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I, and I hope that we'll be able to talk sometime again soon. Okay, thank you for having me. We have a powerful lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations including Rajiv Rajnesh and Nathan, founder of startup Hypeman, Stephen Brady, founder and CEO of Revenue Growth Consulting, Marcus Wrench, founder Remarkable, Lazare Rosilin, co-founder and CEO of Spoke and many more. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today and listening to this episode of SaaS Stories. This is where I speak with the dreamers and visionaries who dared to think ahead and build world-class SaaS products. We hope this conversation helped you with the insights that you can go and apply right now to your own SaaS journey. We hope to have you here with us again in the next episode of SaaS Stories. SaaS Stories is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform, and is a BizCast original production. 